0: Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 6-25-2023 and we're continuing with our worship service. We're going to have the thought of the week in prayer. All
1: right, let me take my phone off for the speaker. All right, um, Thought of the week. When we think about righteousness, I hope we realize that it is just as important as Christ died for our sins, Although... I have yet to hear is spoken of with equal importance. We cannot have one without the other. We need both. Works of Christ be saved. One reason for this is that many are more impressed with their righteousness. Paul wrote about the Israelites in Christ, they doing just that. Simply did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The condition exists in the Gentile world as well. Many place the Mosaic law with their sin of morality. This morality may borrow some principles of the law as they said with the test of just and moral behavior in doing this they see God they feel God must respect the standard because they honestly observe it. They are so sincere in their commitment and devotion to this morality. They think God must also see us good. God has already spoken and will not be swayed by any works around many meant to may uh be able God has already spoken and will not be swayed by any works around man may offer. Therefore no one be declared righteous in God's sight by the work of the law. Rather through the work through the law we become positive sin. Take for Romans chapter three verse twenty. Well we know as there's no one who does good, not even one. We cannot be saved upon our own right standards of righteousness. We must rely on the one who went to the cross and died for all, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, people can also strive to be saved upon their righteousness, but we know that only through Christ, only, only we can be saved, only all of can be saved and no one else. So this is what I'm getting to the thought
0: of the week. So it's time to have a prayer given to us. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. Thanks. We are going to look to the Lord in prayer. Uh, We don't have a shortage of needs, that's for sure, but I'm going to open it up to see if others have thoughts that are on their mind they want to pray for. All right. Yeah,
1: we're going to pray
0: for uh, Gentry and the Myers family. Gotcha. Will do. All right. Certainly. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Eternal Father, thank you for this time we have this morning, and this turns into this afternoon. We're so grateful for your grace, your sovereign grace, which has called us from eternity past to where we are today in time. As those who are part of the new creation in christ father help us to understand that role transform our minds so that we can know you better give us an understanding of who we are as we traverse through the scriptures that are before us so that we can understand your will and purpose for our lives here in this world Father, we thank you so much for Christ and grace and salvation, which was all given to us absolutely free. We didn't earn or deserve any of it. And all we can do is be grateful, thankful, appreciative of the work of Christ on our behalf. We're so grateful and thankful and understand that you have a a purpose beyond salvation for us. For salvation is not of ourselves, but living this life, growing in grace, coming to the full knowledge of the truth. We do have some say there. So we pray that you would encourage us and motivate us. Give us the courage to do those things, to think about those things while we're in the place in this world of opposition. So Father, we do have some concerns on our minds um uh, the ones that we have and prayers that we have uh for those who who are connected to us well, for the f- first father we want to pray for those in in my family and and that would be my dad who's going through some illness some weakness some fatigue and father you know exactly what it is and you know everything and we're praying for his healing for his restoration as well and uh but we leave it all in your perfect hands, Father. Also, we're praying for those, uh, the Haddon family, who are still grieving for the loss of uh, their loved one, uh, their husband and father. We pray for Kenny Jr. Uh, Lord, you know the particular things. We're calling out Christina as well, and Gail. Uh, so these are the names that come up that we ask, Father, to for intervention. In their lives according to your perfect will also so uh, for Fred and Brenda as well they are all going through medical things procedures that are upcoming uh, give them peace comfort their hearts help them to know that you have all things under the control of your power in this world and they are in good hands Uh, so We pray for um, Mike Presley and family as Mike is undergoing a lot of uh, procedures as well. Father, we pray for all those who are involved in those procedures, uh, especially the doctors. Give them wisdom, Father, to be able to understand and treat with the greatest care. And we pray for his healing as well. All this according to your perfect will. We pray for his family, his wife, and Tinea as well. And Father, we pray for the Myers family, all of them. I know Gentry's name was called out. We pray for her. We may not know all of the things that are going on, but you do perfectly. So we pray and lift her name up as well. Pray for the Myers family. There are those there that need you, Father. They need your your power in their lives. Uh, we know that many are one decision away from from serving you and doing the things that you would have them do. So we're lifting them up as well. We're lifting up the Sneed family and the Hurick family as well. And you know the particular needs in each of their families. And we pause and ask for your guidance and, and direction and healing, uh, whatever there are. Uh, they need father we 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 love them and we care about all of those connected to us but beyond that father we we also pray for the ellis family who has lost my aunt we just lost my aunt uh, this week praying for them for as they are grieving and for the loss of their loved one aunt mary praying for them at this hour um, so there's so much as we think about in this world where you said that there would be trouble. And so not only is there trouble, but we have a mission here. We pray for the church universal. That means every believer in any nation, wherever they are, we're praying that they will come to the full knowledge of the truth and they will take their stand uh, in this world and fight Uh, principalities and powers and so forth. We thank you for the privilege to serve in this world and pray that uh, as the wisdom that was destined for our glory would be ours and we would be able to execute in this world. All of this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who showed everything, how we are supposed to function. He gave us The wisdom and the understanding. And that is what we are growing into is the mind of Christ. We thank you for the privilege of being here at this hour. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are moving forward. So we're in the book of Galatians. And, um, that's where we want to pick up Galatians chapter two, and we're moving, I'll read some of the context so we could just make sure we orient to what we're talking about. So in Galatians chapter two, let's start at verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So that's verse 16, and that's where we're going to pick up. So just to note, uh, by way of some review, I'm going back to 15, maybe point G, and before we get to 16, 15G. Gentiles did not have God's calling or the law and were involved in darkness and idolatry. So when we say that we're not to follow Jewish customs, we're also not to follow Gentile customs. Now, at the time of writing, Gentiles were involved in all sorts of decadence, immorality. Uh, I would say, uh, even to this day, I mean, there's still some of the things that they were involved in were, as the verse that we called out says, we're not even to talk about or mention these things that are done in, in the darkness, because it, it, it has t- detailing all of those things, don't have any particular value. It's just evil, decadent, immoral. And so, we're not to be involved in those things. Number one, the church is not to be swayed by Gentiles or Gentile traditions and cultures and worship uh, standards, all of that. The church is new. So, having The thought of it being new, understanding that thought was not revealed to Old Testament people. It was not given to Israel. God wants us all to come together around something that's new, something that's unique, a new purpose. That is the thought. However, people are very stuck in the mud of tradition and culture. And they're not so easily willing to give up the ways... Of worship and how they functioned uh, with respect to worshiping God. So, this is where we are in our context. Point H everyone is a sinner by birth. So, that means <clears throat> we all had, when we were born, an inherited sinful nature. And when did we get it? Birth. You didn't have a choice, you didn't ask to receive a sin nature you received it because that was the way god set it up when adam sinned all of not only the sin nature but the the, the condemnation all of that would be passed down to all of his progeny that's us we were born with a sin nature that says a lot so what's the expectation for us from god what what do you think he expects of us righteousness? Absolutely not. We can't perform one act of righteousness. There's none who do good. There's none who seek after God. There's none righteous, not even one. He can't expect righteousness from us when we're born with a sin nature. So we have to adjust our thinking because many people think God is so offended by our sins. Oh yes, he He hates sin, no doubt about it. Sin offends God's righteousness, absolutely. But don't be surprised. God is not surprised by the fact that that's the situation we're in. Just like we read in Romans 11, God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. And when he means everyone there in context, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Same thing. When it comes to the gospel, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So that's that's the thought. So why is Paul's comment here to contrast... Uh, so, which is why Paul's comment here is to contrast the stubbornness of their thinking. Why we say stubbornness? Because uh, their culture was screaming in their head a certain thing. Of course, God was also there, and they had agreed... With God, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. He understood that. He knew that God gave him that vision and he understood the end of it when he went to Cornelius' house and he said, I understand now. God is telling me not to call anyone clean or unclean, which God has made clean. So listen, Peter understood. That's why Paul uses the word hypocrisy because he was an actor playing a role. He knew on the inside, but he put the face, the Jewish customs face on, on the outside. He lifted that up to show everybody, hey, I'm I'm with you, I'm I'm cultural too. Peter was big for the circumcision. He got his start right there in Acts chapter 2 when from one sermon, Peter stood up and preached. Over 3,000 were saved and those 3,000 were Jews. So the church started out Jewish, but that wasn't God's intent that the church is Jewish. And the church was not to be under the Mosaic law. So all of these things had to be learned. God had to give revelation, clear revelation. And what we have in the book of Galatians is clear revelation. Although even today the church Many in the church are not listening to what the book of of Galatians is all about. This is telling us we're in a new age. It was almost like if we could, it would be like being able to take somebody and just shake them and say, Look, do you understand? We're in a new age. The shaking comes from the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that God demonstrated to to say that, look, there's something different, there's something new, look this way. And people are stuck in the mud and mire of this the culture that they're in. Gentiles want to continue their ways, emotional ways of worshiping God. Through sensuality and all of the things that what happened in the past, and Jews want to continue with the Mosaic Law and say, "Hey, we're separate, we're better, we're, we're more important to God because He gave us the Law." We, if there are Gentiles that come into church, they'll be second-class citizens. So that's where we are in Galatians two fifteen, where Paul talks about not sinful Gentiles. So he's playing to them, to what they think. Even though they know better, their behavior is like, well, these sinful Gentiles, let me depart from them. Let me get away from, the, 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 let me stop eating with the Gentiles because here comes the Jews. So what is Peter saying? He's saying sinful Gentiles and the Jews are not. So let me move. So, but Peter knew better. See, so this, there's a lot at play here. So Galatians... Uh, Two sixteen, which is in point five of the notes. That's what we're going to dig into right now. So know that, this is what it says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because no one right, will be justified by the works of the law. No person, no one. The works of the... That's a big deal. And, and if we don't get this message, we're going to continue to conduct ourselves according to tradition. Now, it's interesting that the Jews thought so highly, and they really should have thought highly of their scriptures because God is the one who gave them the scriptures. They departed from God through their resistance of the Holy Spirit. So yes, God did use the Jews. He did use the nation Israel. He, he tried. They failed. But they will uh, be restored later. And they will fulfill the purpose for which God called them. No doubt about it. So this is not to vilify Jews in any way. And I would hope that people don't see this as, oh, you're saying things that are anti-Semitic and you're talking about the Jews like they're so terrible. No, I'm not. I'm trying to show that God has gone in a different direction. The Jews are sleeping right now. The nation that's there in Israel is not a nation under God. That's not what God thought about in the scriptures when he said he would restore Israel. It is not. That's coming later. So it's not about hatred for Jews or lifting up of Gentiles. The church is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither culture should hold sway in the church, should have the authority. No culture at all should have the authority in the church. The church is from uh, the authority of the Lord jesus christ and what are we being conformed to is his mind his thinking and what's his thinking well it's the father's eternal purpose so let's get to it point a in our notes know that a person now when it says the first thought know that a person is just is not justified by the works of the law so uh, in context paul's Paul first addresses the, the hypocrisy there. Because remember, it wasn't just Peter. Peter and the other Jews that were there also. It's not just Peter. So know that, so this is what Paul is saying. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Not only Peter, but his false cultural example impacting the other Jews in verse, te- verse 13 in attendance. So So know how this influence that Peter had, first of all, he was looked at as a celebrity, an icon in the church, especially among those who were the circumcision group. He knew what they were thinking, so that's why he was fearful that he would lose, the authority that he had. So the circumcision group did not like the Apostle Paul at all. Not at all. Peter was the one they liked. And Peter was the one who caved into to them. And so did the other Jews. Notice how strong it must have been for even Barnabas, who was Paul's associate, his partner in grace. Going around the countryside... And other, and and just impacting people with the gospel, the truth of this new way, establishing churches along the way. Barnabas, even Barnabas. We're talking about how strong this is. So don't think that you will not be impacted by the influence of religious people in this world. Religious people, especially Jews, the Jews, because of the scriptures that were given to them. People can't really see how that's set aside and God has a new purpose. That is a problem for people. So there's theologies that cater to this. They're like, oh, there's no such things as dispensations. There are people who would just say dispensations is evil, even though we have the scriptures right here in the Bible. People would say dispensations are not biblical. (laughs) Really? Did you read Ephesians 3, 2, 9? Colossians, all these different places where it talks about this, this dispensations. Why would you say? Because they're fighting against the conclusions that we have drawn. And that is that God has a new purpose. The church is not Jew. The church is not Gentile. We're not vying for, just because we're not under the Mosaic law, we are under Christ. He's our Lord. There is some structure to the church that we must adhere to. Not must adhere to for salvation. Salvation is free to anybody who believes in Christ. However, he was revealed, even in the Old Testament. It's free. It's not about salvation. It's about the calling that we received. Salvation hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. The calling that we have received has changed. So Jews had to call the nation Israel, now it's the church. It's different. And it can be. Don't look at it as like, well, God can't change. Yes, he can. He did. <laughs> it's, it's open, open, open your Bible and look at it. It's right there. Point B. Paul's sarcasm. Even though they were born into Jewish culture, which is devoid of the Spirit, I don't mean they never had the Spirit. I'm saying that they resisted the Spirit. So what we are seeing in the Old Testament, and even the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee and followed the teachings of the elders, this is the elders' interpretation of the Old Testament Scriptures. Their interpretation was devoid of the Spirit. We read some of that, uh, where Christ said, not only do you follow by your traditions, you break the command of God. In other words, it's not only like, well, the Bible says this in the Old Testament, and we're close to it. We're just right there. No, Jesus said they break the command by their traditions. They're not following the calling that God's provided for them. So, uh, <clears throat> it, it's, so his sarcasm, even though they're... This is point B. Paul Sark, even though they were born into Jewish culture, devoid of the spirit, meaning they had rejected the spirit, which taught them, this is what they were taught by their rejection. It taught them separatism. They understand salvation now. They know better than what their culture taught them. This is Peter, Paul, James, Barnabas, all the ones that were there, they know better. They know about grace and true justification. They knew. So Paul told them the gospel that he preached and they were and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They understood. They're like, yes, it's grace. However, when it comes to living the Christian way of life, they're saying we should go back to the Mosaic Law. Some of them from the circumcision group were saying that. Not Peter, not Barnabas, but, but those other Jews that were there, They were looking at the circumcision group. They were looking at the Gentiles. Their head was on a swivel. And many of those Jews went with the circumcision group. They departed from the Gentiles. So that was what was happening. They gave in to fear. Even though they knew that salvation was by grace, they understood true justification. Would you say Barnabas didn't understand all the times he was with Paul? He understood. Peter, absolutely, it's documented in Scripture that Peter understood. So yes, they caved into fear. Fear, but what was the tug, what was pulling at them? It was their culture, the Jewish culture. And it was false Jewish culture. It was Jewish culture devoid of the spirit of truth. They thought they were operating according to Scripture, but they were devoid of that point C in the notes. We may get through all of this if we move a little swifter. The big lie, this is where the big lie, what is this big lie today that continues to be perpetuated generation after generation of what happened with the Jews? Now it's starting to take hold or it's been taking hold in the church. We see signs of it in the early church right here. What is the big lie? It is that the Jews were wrong about the law being a source of justification before God. It never was for that. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Salvation is the same for everybody, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile. God didn't give the Jews the calling or create the Jewish nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for Jews to just neglect that they need a Savior. They needed a savior. They had to be saved first. So they were wrong. And they did not want to admit that they were wrong. They clung to the law as the source of their justification before God. So the lie is still alive today. However, it has many modifications. So they're not saying you got to be. I don't know any Christian organization that's telling people they need to be circumcised. None. So, But I can tell you there are Christian organizations that talk about dietary laws or Sabbath or different things going on. Uh, they will pick certain parts of the law uh, to, to talk about Christian modus operandi. They are literally saying that the big lie is still in existence. And they are tying it to salvation. Right. So they're saying, unless you do these things, you cannot be saved. And this goes to our next point, which is point D. So, in their thinking, if having and attempting to keep the law was their justification, which they thought, how could Gentiles be saved? Now, when they think about Acts 15, 1 through 5, right? So, these are, I'm just going to go to that verse over here. 15, 1 says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch where the Gentiles believers were Gentile believers were and were teaching the believers notice they were teaching believers unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses you cannot be saved so they t- thought that the Jewish uh, circumcision which was a right that God did establish for Jews he did but it wasn't for them to be saved it was for them to be a part of the covenant. It was part of the covenant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would be part of Israel. This is God's calling for them. This had nothing to do with their salvation. So you could be circumcised, all right, and be lost because you didn't follow uh, what God had done through Abraham, which is to believe. And, And this... Christ who would come Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness says Romans 4 unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses notice you cannot be saved so they they were teaching this to Gentile believers now they were already saved (laughs) they were believers they were already saved and yet they were telling them that you had to be circumcised or you cannot be saved. Well wait, wait a minute, they're already saved. No. They're, this is what they were trying to say is that your salvation and living your life is one and the same. If you don't follow the law, you cannot be saved. That's what they're saying. If you don't follow according to the what was taught us by Moses, you cannot be saved. So even though they were believers, they were already saved, and even though they believed in Christ and trusted him for their soul salvation, their thought was, unless the Mosaic law is supplemented, unless you adopt the way of life from the Mosaic law, you will not be saved. So, point uh, verse 2 this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So, so, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and their elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. Paul told them the gospel. Well, first, he, they came into sharp dispute and debate with them. Sharp dispute. Because it was an issue in the early church. So verse 4, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the Mosaic law. I wonder if Paul knew some of these groups, these people who had converted and were believers and were part of the Pharisees. I wonder, these were probably people Paul knew, or certainly people that uh, that, uh, that knew Paul. Here here it is, the Gentiles must be, verse 5, must be circumcised and required to keep the Mosaic law. The law of Moses. So it all comes out. They wanted them to be converts to Judaism. What does that mean? That means they disrespect the fact that a new dispensation has dawned. So this is part of the big lie. Now of course, like I said, with modifications. We're in point C in our notes. Uh, so, so the, well, we're in point D, but in point C, that's what I meant by with many modifications. So they're not saying those things today, but they're picking certain parts out of the Mosaic Law, and they're talking about morality. They're, they're mixing it all at the Ten Commandments, morality, and they're saying, well, we don't have to do some of the things in the Mosaic Law, but we still have some things that we have to do. So they still are denying to that extent the new dispensation that has dawned. They're trying to mix the new dispensation with the old. I think that's what Jesus meant when he says you're trying to mix new wine into old wineskins. If you do that, they'll burst and you will make a mess. You don't want to do that. So one age of israel stands and god's call for them stands when god called them he saw through his foreknowledge everything about what he wanted for them and and he even saw their success so we're not trying to merge or modify what god gave israel he gave israel what he saw perfectly what his plan for them was and for the church he has a different plan all related to his overall plan, which is bring many sons into glory. So moving forward, uh, so in their thinking, they were attempting uh, to keep the law. It was their justification, right? This is how in their minds, Gentiles could be saved. They mixed the two monumental subjects. One, salvation by grace. That's for every person who was ever born in Adam salvation by grace God has offered that to every there are no standards for that what do you have to do it says it's not of yourselves it's the gift of God right so what do you have to do for salvation that's this is not just us There's anybody in the world nothing it's all the work of Christ and God God judging your sins in Christ Christ receiving the penalty of that judgment Christ's righteousness that he earned while here in the world being imputed to you upon belief in him. This is all the work of God, it's not any of you. So point E, they know that a person, they know this. When when Paul says it in Galatians, go back to Galatians now, chapter two. This is where we are in verse 16. They know, know that we were Jews know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. We know this. They know this. But they were still caving in to the fear of their culture and the ways that they had learned. They know it. Stand by. I just want to make sure I don't see anything going on here. Okay. <clears throat> so... That was, it's not something that they didn't know. And this is where the hypocrisy comes in, because they know better. That's point E. They know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So how could they have come to know this? They could, not for them to know this, and Paul is saying, you we know this, and you are already hypocrites in your heart, because you believe one thing, or outside or something else. You know this. Right? He's reiterating how someone saved. It's, Their salvation has nothing to do with their calling. So, I mean, obviously, in order to perform your calling, you have to be saved first. So they know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. They know this. How could they have come to know this? The only one way, and that's by the Spirit of God. So if if they're in the church and the Spirit has told them these things about salvation, that's the only way they could have come to salvation, right? So I'm just reading, the, and the difference is here. Romans 7, 5, and 6 is, is a scripture I thought about when I thought of this verse. Romans 7, 5, and 6, it says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit to death. Literally, that's what it means by the law, was a minister of condemnation. So if we're being, the boring fruit to, that we bore fruit for death, we would even see our sinfulness, right? Because the sinful nature would be aroused because it hates God and it hates God. It never will be subject to God or his law. Or anything. So it's a minister of, it shows us that we are dead. And there it is right there in verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law, that's what the the work of the law is supposed to do in us, were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. Now just stop here for a second. I know we're getting to the next verse. But think about how arrogant that is. If the law is the minister of death, the law is the minister of condemnation. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right? This is where we read that about the law, that which was written and engraved in letters on stone, right? It was That's what it was. How could we possibly turn that around so that we could think we could be justified by the works of the law? That, that's pure arrogance to think that God gave the law so that you it would show you that you need a savior, that you're dead, condemned, under the wrath of God, all that, so that you would look to Christ. But no, the Jews said, yeah, we're going to look to the law because that's our justification. That's our salvation. That's pure arrogance for them to think that. Okay, so anyway, verse 6, but now, Dying to what once bound us. How do we die to it? We're we're alive, right? Yes, we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit. In the baptism of the Spirit, we die with Christ. We go through the death, burial, and resurrection. We're dying to that which once once bound us. What's that? The sin nature. We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of life, the, the new way of the Spirit, and not the old way of the written code. So we are no longer bound. The law can't tell us that we're lost anymore. You know why? Because we're free. We're now in Christ. Before we were in Adam, and the law ruled over us. But now that we're in Christ, the law can't say anything to us. What could the law say to Adam? You're a sinner, condemned, you're unrighteous. You're dead. That's what the law could say to Adam. Can the law say those same things to Christ? Because that's where we are now. That's what happened through the baptism of the Spirit. Can the law now say that Christ is condemned, that he's dead, that he's a sinner, that he has a sin nature, and and he's unrighteous? Absolutely not. Since we're in Christ, those are the properties that God sees of us now we are righteous we have eternal life all of our sins have been judged and God never computed them to us anyway and and we're alive to God we're not dead we're alive to God all of that is in Christ we have new life so we serve in the new way so notice they were looking at the way they serve God as a part of their justification hence they united the two monumental things, salvation and living, according to the calling God has provided us. So that's point E in our notes. F. Seeking to be justified by the law is opposed to having faith in Jesus Christ, even though this lie is among us today. So, so people... Even though it says this, right, it's clear in Scripture, people will begin to distort the words. They're going to say that, oh, the only thing you have is faith? Well, let me tell you, faith includes works. That's what they're going to say, because they want to include works. But God is clear that having faith is opposed to the works of the law. And people, you would think, I'm going to go to Romans 4, 4, and 5 just to illustrate this. It says, now, even even though Romans 4, 4, and 5 are illustrating something, what are they illustrating? Verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, verse 4 and verse 5 are illustrating what he meant by Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? It's gonna illustrate it for us. Verse four, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So we talking about people who are working for their salvation, who are working and thinking that their working contributes to their salvation. God doesn't owe you salvation. He's not obligated to give you salvation. It's a gracious offer. It's free. And if God were to give you salvation based on that obligation, that would mean that God accepts your works as righteous. uh, That they are according to his standards. And that's what it would mean if he were to give you grace uh, or give you salvation based on your works. That means he obviously accepts your works. So that They are remuneration for your salvation. In fact, if you work, he's obligated to give you. But he told you already that he does not accept works. There's none righteous, not even one. Verse 5. However, to the one who does not work. Now notice, they do not work. Right? They, They don't have any works. But what do they have? trust God as faith who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness so working and trusting God are mutually exclusive so if if the person trusts God that means they are not working if they are working that means they're not trusting God they don't have faith so we can't say faith includes works If you say that, then you're denying the very principle that God understands. that He's already told us there's none righteous, that we can't work. None who do good. And yet we are determined to say that that's wrong, God. You will respect my works. We're determined to tell God that in every way we can. We're going to screw it up. The gracious offer of God, we're going to mess it up. That's the only thing we're doing, making a mess, just like with the new wine and old wine skins. It's a mess. That's what it is. So God is saying here, the one who does not work, it's because you can't keep the Mosaic law anyway. It only shows you you're dead and need a savior. But if you trust God, who justifies who, the one who's moral. The good one, no. The ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. What's he illustrating in these two verses? Verse three, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, can we say we believe in God and work in it at the same time? No. He illustrated that for us in verses four and five. God knows the difference between a gift and a reward. So, point. This is that was point F. Point G. So, the subject is not about salvation. It's not particularly about salvation. It is about living the Christian life. Well, what, is, what do you mean the subject? Well, what Peter was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He's eating with the Gentiles. All of a sudden, he looks over and sees those Jews, uh, those from circumcision group who are coming from, uh, to Antioch. And So, what does he do? He separates himself from the Gentiles knowing that it's okay. He'd been doing this all along, but now this circumcision group comes along and now Peter gets fear. He's afraid. And instead of standing up to them, knowing what they believe, knowing what he used to believe, instead of standing up to them, Peter gave in to fear. I like what Paul says earlier in Galatians. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I'm so glad we have the testimony and the truth of the gospel. So this is point G, right? So it is not about salvation. That's not an issue of salvation. It's about living the Christian life. So why does Paul speak of faith in Christ and justification? Because he's going right to salvation here. Because they mixed the two subjects, just as so many have done today. There are two clear subjects here. And we're going to, all of us will stand the the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive what is due us, what's due us, for things done while in the body. That's reward. But that's not for... That's not a salvation passage. That's God's going to evaluate how we lived our lives, and He's going to reward us if we deserve it. So they mix the two subjects. Mixing the two subjects is dangerous. Now, listen, I can't tell if a person is saved or not when they are talking like this, when they are mixing the two subjects. I can't say. So they may have believed in Christ and were saved by grace, but then they decided to follow the big lie. They were influenced, just like the Galatians were influenced, and some of them were probably circumcised because of the influence of these who belonged to the circumcision group. They were even called the circumcision group. It mixed the two subjects, salvation and the Christian way of life. Paul had to show that our salvation is based on grace. We know this. We Jews, who were the ones who called Gentiles sinners, because we thought that because we had the law, we weren't sinners. We know better but yeah, the big lie is where they mix these two subjects, and that's how they live their lives. Separatism, you know, stay away from those Gentile sinners. You know, we're Jews, we're better. God respects us; He doesn't respect them. This is how it goes today. If if you don't adhere to the moral standard that a lot of churches have today, they will tell you you're lost.
1: And what are they saying by
0: saying that? They're saying that. You can have faith in Christ all you want, but if you don't live the life, if you don't do what we tell you, then you won't have eternal life. You'll be lost. This is terrible to think about it that way, but that's what they were doing. That's how they conducted themselves. And that's how people are living. It's a, So we have to wonder, when we approach people like this, what do we tell them? When we see them saying things that are saying that you must adhere to some law. They're very ambiguous about what, what will happen if you don't. But they're telling people you must surrender your life and Christ has to be the Lord of your life and all these things when salvation is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And many people are not seeing salvation as a gift, just like it says, but as an obligation. God, I worked hard. I was good. I did everything I was supposed to do, that my church told me to do. So you owe me salvation. No, this doesn't go by that at all. It's grace. It's by grace you are saved. And if it's by grace, it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So when they mix these two subjects up, boy did that muddy the waters, man. And today, when you look at people, you have to wonder, do they believe the gospel? Because, and then you got people who come right out and just deny that their salvation is based on faith alone. Point H. Test yourself, and this is going to be our last point. <clears throat> Test yourself. Is your, is your salvation tied to some moral standard? Are you saved because you behave as a Christian or a Jew? I like what Philippians 3, 8, 9 says. We'll read that. Just talk about this for a moment. Philippians 3, 8, 9 says, well, we'll read 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Eight, what is more? In other words, furthermore, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord whose sake for whose sake I lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that's the big lie but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith so here again you see faith is not working Faith is not obeying some moral standard. Faith is simply trusting the matter of your soul's salvation to Christ. That's faith. Now, of course, once you believe in Christ and are saved, now there's differences. (laughs) Now you have to understand what we are saved to. So God has a plan for your life. God, we have a calling. There's a lot that we've got to be transformed as newborn babes, desire to sincere milk of the word that you may grow up in your salvation. So, you can test yourself. Is your salvation tied to some moral standard? You need to be free to obey or not to obey. You need to be free and not, God is not holding salvation over your head as though if you don't do this, that I'll throw you out of salvation. That's why Christ said of our salvation, He gave us assurances. He says, I have them in my hand. No one can pluck them out of my hand. And not only that, my Father, we're in His hands. And He says, and no one has the power to pluck us out of His. So God won't take us out of salvation. Not the, certainly not the Holy Spirit. Certainly not Christ. And certainly not the Father. Who would take you out of salvation? Who could possibly have the power? To expel you, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing ever can take us out of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So, do you have some moral standard that you're adhering to, that you're looking at in terms of righteousness? Are you saved because you behave are you saying because you're acting according to a certain church's standard or rule or of conduct? Just think what Paul said. I don't want to be found like that. I want to be found in Christ, not having uh, do, not having it due to my works. That the righteousness that comes on the basis of faith, the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's the only way. We are righteous before God. If you added all of, all of your righteousness up, even after salvation, Paul says we are not saved by righteous things we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Titus three five. It has nothing to do. Whatever righteousness you can produce through the Holy Spirit, that has nothing to do with your salvation. So we're going to have to put this... Uh, we're, we're, we're running out of time. So we'll leave this thought, point H. We'll come back next week, and I'm sure we'll move right into v- verse 17 as well. So stay tuned. We're, we're understanding how they mix these two subjects, and they make a mess. There's no clear gospel. There's no clear way of life that is distinguished from salvation. So that's why they're running around, speaking loudly in the world, telling people that unless they behave a certain way, they won't be saved. They're telling homosexuals, transgender, people who, do, who are involved in abortions, and all these different things. Or as I would say, whoremongers, or uh, you name it. And they're saying, if you do these things, you can't be saved. But if you be like us, who have rejected these things, you can be saved. Well, all of that is to say that's wrong because salvation is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God to whoever believes in him. Anybody who believes. So it doesn't matter who we are in Adam. What matters is who we are in Christ. So we're going to stop now, but we'll continue this thought next week more to be said much more to be said and we'll uh we'll, we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll get into verse 17 let's bow our heads as we close thank you father we're glad we had this time this uh to look into these passages and the thoughts the conclusions that we draw are most important here that we will begin to see how these things work how you are thinking about these things according to to the context. So, we thank you for the spirit of truth. Even if we get off track, you have preserved for us in writing our instructions, our way to think about these things. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for the calling, the fact that we're even here now. We thank you for this being our destiny. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
1: And then Amen.